0: Thank you, Rose. Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you. And those watching online, it's great to have you with us. Going to a wedding has to be among the most joyful occasions that we can experience. People who love each other to bits invite those closest to them to share that love with them. Everyone gets dressed up and looks like a million dollars. Everything is laid on. The drinks are free, nothing beats a wedding for having a good time. When my wife Myra and I got married, it couldn't have been a more joyful occasion. Here's a picture of us being married. Yes, I know, I punch above my weight. She hasn't worked that out yet. I thought I'd just show you another picture of her beautiful bride. You might have to get rid of that, I won't be able to concentrate for the rest of the talk. But uh, we got married in Sydney, I'm from Perth, uh, and so uh, my friends took a few days off, they came over, we hung out, we travelled around, we went surfing, my family flew in from all over the world. Uh, We got married at Manly Aquarium, uh, and the champagne was flowing, the dance floor was uh, packed, Uh, the music was pumping, I think we have another photo, all right? It was a beautiful place. It was full of fun and feasting and friends and family. It couldn't have been a more joyful occasion. That's just the kind of scene that Jesus is presenting when he describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet involving the best of times. And Jesus invites you and I to that heavenly wedding banquet. But as we've just heard read, not everyone accepts the invitation. Why? And if you you heard uh, rightly, you'll notice that some people actually get thrown out of the wedding banquet. Who? Who gets thrown out? Why? It couldn't be anyone of us, could it? It couldn't be anyone we know. Well, we're going to have a look at that parable this evening. Uh, before we get into the text, I'm, I'm going to lead us into prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for our church family. I'm going to pray for those who are unwell. We're going to pray for those who have uh, financial difficulties right now. We're going to pray for the future of the church. So please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us and you love this church. And you've loved this church since its uh, inception, and 24 years ago, being on this corner. And we pray, Lord, for the future of the church. We do pray, Lord, that you would uh, pass the baton on from Pastor Ben to a man that's going to care for this church, is going going to love this church, is going to be faithful to this church. And so we just commit that whole process to you. Father, I just want to pray for our church family. There are those amongst us who are very unwell, those amongst us who have cancer, those amongst us, who have COVID, those amongst us who have serious medical conditions. I just want to pray for them right now. That they would know your love in a way that they haven't experienced before. They they would know that you are with them. That they are secure in your hand. We pray for healing, Lord. Because we know that you can do all things. We pray that your will would be done. And that we would accept your will. Accept your hand in our lives those lord who are going through financial strain we ask lord that they would trust in you that we ask lord that they would turn to you we ask lord that you would care for them we do pray for the ukraine efforts to look after refugees we pray for our connection with the international church in romania and nicole and the team there that are caring for Ukrainian refugees. And we ask, Lord, that that uh, would continue to be funded. That your love would be expressed and shown to those refugees, that they might come to know you through these relief efforts. And Father, we commit this evening to you. We ask, Lord, that the meditation of all our hearts, that my words would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're having a look at Matthew chapter 22. So if you have that in front of you, that would be really helpful. There also will be some text behind me on the screen. Matthew 22, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. A parable is an earthly story which illustrates a heavenly reality. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son so the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding but bigger than any wedding that you and i are used to it's the wedding that a king puts on for his son it's a royal wedding it's a a, a wedding that has no budget money is no limit it, it is a wedding on the grandest of scales you know when ha- uh, prince harry married Le- uh, Meghan markle I was going to say Lady Meghan Markle, but they refused to give her a title. Look at the banquet. It's just, you know, there is no limit to the the expense that was laid on. And everyone wanted an invite to this wedding. Did anyone get an invite here? No, only the celebrities got invited, right? Elton John, David Beckham, Oprah... While everyone didn't get an invite, the whole world stopped and watched it on TV. Well, come to think of it, I didn't. I watched the football. But most people, right, watched it on TV. Because to get invited to a royal wedding is a a big deal. If I had got an invite, I would have gone. I did actually watch the pastor preach. Do you remember that pastor that preached? It was fantastic. It was a miracle, right? Just like Jesus turned water into wine... He turned a five-minute sermon into a 15-minute sermon. He was only allowed allowed five minutes. He turned it into a 15-minute sermon. But to be invited to a royal wedding is a big deal. And if I'd been invited, I would have gone. But before our modern times, when kings and queens had real power and you had to pledge your allegiance to your monarch, in those times... An invitation like this was more than just an invitation, oh, please think about coming. It was a summons, it was a commandment come and honour the king and honour my son. And Jesus is saying that the king represents God, who invites you and I to a banquet, a banquet in heaven that he has prepared. A heavenly banquet on the grandest of scales. There is no budget, right? Money is no limit. It will leave Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's banquet for dead. It is the biggest party that will ever be thrown, right? That has ever been thrown. But more than invite us, God, he commands us to come. He summons us to come because the purpose of the wedding banquet is for his son jesus christ to be honored everything about the wedding banquet is for his son to be honored and glorified that the father may honor the son that he may lead you and i in honoring the son that we all may give glory to the son of god for all eternity that's the purpose of the wedding banquet Uh, at the 2012 olympics if you can think back that far who can tell me where that was held London, well done. And at the Olympics, the greatest Olympian of all time, who's won the most gold medals, is Michael Phelps, well done. He was beaten by a young South African man, by Chad LaClosse. He was beaten by a nail, right, 0.05 of a second, a nail's width. He can't believe it. But it was his father, Chad, uh, sorry, his father, Bert, who stole the show. We've got a picture of him, I think. No picture? We, got a, uh, we had a picture of him who stole the show in a post-race interview because he could not contain his love for his son after he won the race. We do have a, a video that will show you him not being able to contain his emotion for his son. That's Father Bert, my word, what a performance! Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. I, I, I'll never be surfing my life. And, uh, it's something un- Indescribable, undescribable. I mean, to whatever to tonight it's like I it to heaven. And if whatever happens in my life it's plain sailing. It's plain sailing. And there is your boy down there. I think he could hardly believe it. Not just that he's won the gold medal, but that he's beaten Michael Phelps. Wow, this, this is unbelievable. Look at him And he's beautiful. Look at this. What a beautiful boy. Look at him. Oh, God. God. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh, my God. Tell us a bit about Chad and when he committed his life to swimming and how he's got this good. He's unbelievable. He commits, he's committed like you cannot believe. He's the most down-to-earth, beautiful boy you ever meet in your life. He, 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 will not, you know, he, he likes all the... Look at him! He, look at him! He's crying like me! I love you! Oh, oh my god, every time I see myself i look at This weird. This is like yes. Oh, we want to, it. No, 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 you're fine. And his mum is here as well. How many more family members? How many friends have you got? My, my, my other son is here, the small one. So that was described as the media moment of the games, because you've got Bert. He's like a champagne bottle; it's just bursting forth. He can't contain his love for his son. Wow! Look at him. He's beautiful. What a beautiful boy. He's unbelievable, right? Now this is a great snapshot of God's love. For for his son because before god was ever a creator before he created the universe he was a father and he's been a father for all eternity loving his son and god created the universe in order to share the love that he has for his son with you and with me that we might experience this love you and i and everything and everyone exists because God loves his Son and he wants others to love him and honour him. God has created us so that we will say with him, look at the Son. He's beautiful. He's unbelievable. And it's God the Father's desire that at the wedding banquet in heaven, all of the celebrations and all of the focus will be centred on Jesus, his Son. That Jesus Christ would have preeminence that he would have the primacy in each of our hearts so verse 3 he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come and they came is not is what it doesn't say no they refused to come then it has to be some sort of mistake the king has invited people to the wedding of his son and yet some refuse to come Now, this would have been an absolute insult to the king. It would have been tantamount to treason. The king has asked for something and people have said no. Now, he had every right to punish his subjects then and there, didn't he? He's the king. But what does he do? No, instead, he offers his invitation again. This king is patient. This king is kind. This king is generous. Verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Now, no doubt there would have been vegetables there as well. Uh, For the vegetarians and vegans, the the fatted calf, it's symbolizing that the very best food had been prepared because... No meat was more expensive than the fatted calf, uh, which was set aside for a special occasion. Uh, These select animals were fed extra food, given special food. They were prevented from roaming around freely so that they would put on weight, like this, right? they put on weight, they would be fattened up and they would just taste spectacular. How nice would that cow taste? Can you just imagine? And so Everything has been done to ensure that the guests would have a magnificent banquet. Surely this would entice them to come. If you saw a cow like that, ready to be slaughtered, you think, I want to go to that party. But, verse 5, they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field and another to his business. Those invited are too, too concerned with their own affairs to respond to the king's invitation. One guest goes off to his field. Jesus doesn't tell us what took him there, but surely it could have waited. Same with the second guest, uh, the second person who's invited. His business matters take over, take priority over honoring the king. And Jesus is citing typical shallow excuses that people make to bring out the point that The guests had no real reason for not coming, for staying away from the banquet. They simply did not care about the king. They did not had no they had no respect for the king, and they had no fear of the king. Verse six: the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So the hostility of the invited guests escalates into a dramatic act of treason and rebellion and revolution and this brings an end to the patience of the patient king and he executes justice on those who act in this way and like the king god gave out an invitation to his chosen people to come to his wedding uh, heavenly banquet god Invited his chosen people, Israel, to enter into a special relationship with him. He held out his arms to Israel. He bid them come, generation after generation. But they refused to come, didn't they? Because their hearts were hard. They were disobedient. They were obstinate. They were even turned on God's prophets that were sent to them. And they murdered them. So God brought to justice those who acted that way. There comes an end to the patience of even the most patient of God. Of God, the patience of God. And as a consequence, their city of Jerusalem was destroyed, wasn't it? In 586 BC by the Babylonians. And at the very moment that Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. And as he's speaking, the Jewish leaders have already concocted a plan to have Jesus executed, to have him arrested and got rid of. And for their continued rebellion, remember, Jerusalem is destroyed again in 70 AD. Then he says to his servants, verse 8, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king was not going to cancel the wedding banquet of his son just because some guests refused to come. No, he's determined for his son to be honored. Remember, that's why he's holding it. For his son to be honored, to have the place of preeminence. His purpose is, have, is to have the son surrounded by multitudes and for them to pay homage to him. And so the king extends his invitation to those on the streets, to the highways, to the byways, where foreigners from all over the world would travel, those who didn't belong to the, to the nation of Israel. Uh, such people would not, expect themse- would not expect to find themselves as, as guests at the royal banquet. But the king's son is getting married, and he, the king wants the seats filled in order to honour the son. In the same way, God the Father is not going to cancel the heavenly banquet just because his chosen people refuse to come. No, God is determined for his son Jesus to be glorified, to be honoured, to have the place of preeminence, for the multitudes to surround him and to pay homage to him. For God cannot stand for his son to be dishonoured. And so remember, God, he widens his list of guests He sends an invitation to all the peoples of the world, to the moral, to the immoral, to the religious, to the irreligious, to the elites, to the down and outs. And this invitation to come to honour his son has come down through the centuries and it's been extended to you and it's been extended to me. Have you accepted the king's invitation to honour the son? Verse 11 we read, The king... Came in to see the guest. The king comes to see who is here to honor my son. I want to see who is here to honor my son. The king wants to see the palace filled to overflowing with those who love his son and want to be devoted to his son. But he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. It seems to have been the custom in that time for the host of the wedding to provide suitable wedding garments for his guests so that they would honor the occasion. If you were out on the highways and the byways, you would not have had your wedding garments with you. The king provides suitable wedding, wedding garments for his guests so that they would honor the occasion. They would honor the king. They would honor the son. But one guest refuses to wear the wedding garments that have been provided for him. Instead, he just turns up in his own duds. And the man's attire insults the king. It dishonours the king. It dishonours the son. It dishonours the glorious occasion. In the very presence of the king and in the king's guests, this man dares to parade his contempt and his dishonor what he's saying is i I accept the invitation from the king but i will come my way i'm not going to come his way i'll enjoy the king's hospitality but i'm not going to give him my honor and i'm not going to give his son my honor well how did that go down the loving patient king now speaks words of condemnation and wrath verse 13 then the king told the attendants Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The king says to the man, what you have done is unacceptable. For you to come into my palace, for you to come into my wedding banquet, for you to come into my presence and in the presence of my son, just as you are, that is unacceptable. I have provided wedding garments for you that that would have made you acceptable at my wedding feast, but to come just as you are is unacceptable. This man was found out. He was exposed. He was speechless. There was no excuse that he could come up with. And so the man is punished in a manner fitting for bringing shame and dishonor to the king. Now, what is this wedding garment that was so important for him to be wearing that without wearing it resulted in such a punishment? What is this wedding garment? Well, the 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon, if you haven't read any of Charles Spurgeon or heard his sermons, I recommend that you do. He said this, Many a time, The question has been asked, what was the wedding garment? And so many answers have been given that I conclude that if our Saviour had intended any one specific thing, he would have expressed himself more plainly. It seems to me that our Lord intended much more than any one thing. The wedding garment represents anything which is indispensable to a Christian. Hence, it may be said to be Christ's righteousness imputed to us. But we might with equal truth say that the wedding dress is a holy character. The righteousness which the Holy Spirit works in us and which is equally necessary as a proof of grace. The wedding garment is simply mentioned here as being a test of loyalty to those who came to the marriage feast. So, those who want to come to God's heavenly banquet but think they can come any way they want, God says to them, That is unacceptable. For you to come to my heavenly banquet, for you to come into my presence, for you to come into the presence of my son, just as you are, that is unacceptable. You have no place here. You must put on the righteousness that I have provided for you. I've done that. It cost me everything. It required that my son die on the cross to purchase that righteousness that you need. This righteousness will cover your dirt. It will cover your depravity. But if you put it on, you will be accepted at my feast. But you may not come just as you are, because that dishonors me and it dishonors my son. And if you accept my invitation, God says, but you refuse to live a life of obedience. Well, that dishonors me and it dishonors my son. And God will say to all such people at the final judgment, and these words are terrible words, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The place that is as far away from the darkness as there could ever possibly be. The darkest corner of hell where there is no light, where there will be darkness for all eternity. There will be the greatest weeping there that there has ever been been every other weeping will be nothing compared to this weeping there'll be gnashing of teeth that's there's inconsolable grief and anguish and remorse and pain and misery that is unrelenting as people come to the realization of what they have lost and that there is no going back and there is no second chance horrific words to hear now someone might ask and i've asked this Doesn't the punishment exceed the crime? How could a loving God send people to hell? The answer? There is no greater crime in heaven or on earth than dishonoring God's Son. For many are invited, but few are chosen. I ask you here today, have you accepted God's invitation to come to his heavenly banquet? Have you clothed yourself in the righteousness that God has provided for you in Christ? If not, I hope you recognize that you are in a very dangerous place. If you've accepted the invitation, but you are still living a life of disobedience, dishonoring God, then I hope you recognize that you're in a very dangerous place. But today, God invites you once again to his heavenly banquet. It's not too late to accept it. Put on Christ. Put on his righteousness. Turn from your sins and ask God for forgiveness. And you'll be granted eternity in his heavenly banquet. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in a few moments, if that's where you are right now. But for those of us who are already Christian. I want you to consider this. Christ is not only our wedding garment. He is the wedding feast. Christ is not only the wedding garment that we need. He is the wedding banquet that we will feast on for all eternity. He is our heavenly feast because all of heaven's goodness is found in Christ amen we will feast when we see him face to face because the one who dwells in unapproachable light will be unapproachable no more the dimmer switch will no longer have to be turned down it can be turned up it will be turned up to its maximum and we will behold the Sun in his brilliant majesty and we will feast We will stand in the very presence of the Holy and Glorious Son, in His very presence. And we'll be captivated by His infinite compassion and forgiveness and faithfulness and generosity and grace and gentleness and faithfulness and forgiveness and kindness and love and mercy and purity. And we'll be transfixed by the beauty of his perfections. And each day will be better than the last. And there will never be an end to it. And we together will stand and we will look at the sun and we will say, He is unbelievable. He's beautiful. What a beautiful sun. And we will feast on the beauty of the gospel. That's what we're going to be spending our eternity doing, is going to be telling each other the gospel. We're going to say, the son, he's unbelievable. He left his heavenly th- throne, right? He, he, he left his crown behind to be born in a cradle. He went to the cross so that he could purchase our wedding garment and then he was raised as king again. And we'll be saying, "This son, is unbelievable. He's beautiful that he did that for us. We'll be marveling at the gospel. We'll be retelling each other the gospel for all eternity. But we don't have to wait until then. We can feast on Christ in some measure now, can't we? Now, it is by faith and not by sight, but that doesn't mean it's not real. It's very real. It's just that we can't see it. We, are, we can feast on Christ. We, we, we're to behold Christ in the only place that you can find him. Where can you find him? This is the only place you can find him. This is where you feast on him. And we allow him to capture our imagination, to possess our passions. Do you find your mind tends to be preoccupied with material things? Do you find that? Houses, mortgages, rents, uh, interest rates, cars, repayments, marketplace. It's the air we breathe. But feasting on Christ is a treasure that you cannot buy it's the most satisfying feast of all. So feast on Christ. This week, next week. And let us say together, look at the Son. He's beautiful. He's unbelievable. What a beautiful Son. Let's pray. I'll give you a moment just to reflect on that passage. If you are here tonight and you haven't yet accepted the invitation to come to God's heavenly banquet. You've refused the invitation or you you just haven't accepted it yet. God has his arms wide open. And he invites you to come. And you come by saying, sorry, thank you, please. If you'd like to do that, you can just follow along with me. Sorry, God, for dishonoring you. And dishonoring Jesus Christ. Thank you that you died for me and you've made it possible that I can come into your heavenly banquet. Please, I want to live for you as my king this day on if you've prayed that prayer and you've been welcomed in to God's heavenly banquet and the angels are rejoicing and they're giving each other high fives and I I pray that you might let us know on your connect card you might come and whisper in my ear that, that you've prayed that prayer for those of us who are already Christian you know the material things are the air we breathe And they'll be gone, and they will crumble. But the beauty of Christ will remain, and He is our feast. He is both our wedding garment and the wedding feast. And if you're going through a dry time, and you're not feasting on Christ, you're not experiencing that from Christ, I want to pray... You're not experiencing that in Christ right now. I want to pray for you. Father, I just pray for those of us who are going through a dry time. Those of us who are not feeling close to you. Those of us who are not feasting on you. I just pray, Lord, that as we search Christ in the only place that we can, I just pray for each person as they do that, Lord, that you would reveal your Son to them. That they would delight in him. That they would feast on Him. That through life's highs and lows, Christ and all that He is would have preeminence in their lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.